Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Have your Bible. I hope you do. Open it to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we are going verse by verse through this great book of the Bible, and you'll also realize that this is one of the three major portions of Scripture in the New Testament that talk about marriage. Now, there are a lot of little verses, different places, but passages, this is one of the major passages. And last week, we talked to the wives about being compliant. We talked about their character. We talked about their commitment to the Lord. Today, I want to thank you men for being here because you knew coming in, I was talking to the husbands because I warned you last week, didn't I? You know what this is? It's a hammer. I brought this to beat the points into the men today. Actually, you know the difference between this and this, a screwdriver. Now, which one's the best? Is the hammer better than the screwdriver? Not necessarily. Is the screwdriver better than a hammer? Can you use a screwdriver as a hammer? Every man in here said yes, because we've done that, haven't we? When we didn't have a hammer, we tried to beat it in there. All right, let me ask you another question. You're right. Neither one's better because it depends on the reason you need it. Obviously, there are things a hammer can do that a screwdriver can't and vice versa. Now, let me ask you another loaded question. Who is better, men or women? Oh, we're not going to answer that today, huh? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. A man is infinitely superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is infinitely superior to a man at being a woman. Men and women are different by design. Neither is superior to the other as far as equality to God, but God has definitely given us different responsibilities. He's made us different. Would you stand while I read God's word? I'm just going to read one verse, verse 7. It's interesting, there were six verses for the wives. Now, there's a reason for this, I believe. I can't prove it. But first of all, it was written by a man who's a husband. Peter was a husband. He had a mother-in-law. We know Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Men, I don't really know why there's just, but I want to tell you, just because there's one verse doesn't mean we're off the hook. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, you keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at every word in that verse. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the husbands today. That some of them would come to know you as the Lord and Savior. I pray for those that would be recommitted to loving, protecting, and providing for their wife. God, we pray that you'll strengthen marriages 
all around as homes are falling apart. We pray that men would be real men and husbands. And we pray, God, that you would help them today to grasp what you're trying to tell us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A panel of women had a debate on who was the perfect man. Who was the man who was with it? The guy who was with it. You would have thought they would have picked a famous movie star or somebody was popular or maybe an athlete or a musician or perhaps even a rich tycoon. Instead, they decided that the perfect man was Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) And here's the reason, four reasons for it. First of all, he's tan, he's cute, he knows the importance of accessorizing, and if he looks at another girl, you can rearrange his face. First grade teacher, Mrs. Foster, that wasn't a good day in class. She's having a lot of trouble with the boys. And, you know, first graders can be good and sometimes they can be a handful. Well, Mrs. Foster told them, told the boys, she says, you've been doing irritating things all day today. These are some of my pet peeves. And they sort of stared at her with a dazed look or a glaze over there. She, she, then it dawned on her, first graders may not know what a pet peeve is. So she simply said, do you know what a pet peeve is? One little boy shook his head no. And she said, a pet peeve is the thing that irritates a person the most. Do you know what my pet peeve is? Mrs. Foster said. One little boy raised his hand and said, Mr. Foster. <laughs> Now, that may be your pet peeve as a wife. It may be your husband. But today we're going to talk about, instead of being an irritating husband, how to be an irresistible husband. And some of you may not be married. Some of you may be thinking about it. But even if you're not, this can still give you truth on how to treat women. And also, one day, if you're going to get married, it'll help you understand some of what you need to do as a husband. So all of this is in verse 7, and we're going to begin looking at it. First of all, the irresistible husband has an unbroken commitment. You'll notice he says, first of all, husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Now, likewise refers back to what's already being said, and we talked about how all of us have authority. Peter's already mentioned authority to the government. He's already mentioned authority that we have in places where we work. You have a boss, and you're going to follow what they tell you to do. And then he talks about authority and order and structure in a home, and then we're going to see how that falls over into a church also. But he says, likewise, you submit to the Lord. Now, likewise, husband, there's some things you're supposed to be doing. He's talking to Christian husbands here. He said, likewise, dwell with them. It it speaks of the physical dwelling. Ephesians 5.25, I'm going to pull in some verses out of Ephesians 5. It's 5.25, says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Isn't it interesting that men have to be told to love their wives? 
You would think that was sort of a given. Women by nature, and by the way they were created, are loving and nurturing and emotional and, and caring. Men, on the other hand, had to be told, you're supposed to love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But here Peter talks about husbands dwelling with their wives. Now you need to understand when this was written that in the Greco-Roman world, husbands were the most powerful figure in the family and very few of them had a friendship with their wives. They just treated them with authority. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. You still see remnants of that today in other religions around the world that suppress their wives and suppress women. Don't treat them as equal. They're like property. That's how they were written. And I want you to understand that Christianity has done more to elevate women and especially in the home than any other. And I hate to say religion because Christianity is not a religion. I'm sure they all loved Ephesians 5 that 23 that says for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, man, I want to tell you something. We, we're quick to quote that, but let me tell you what that really means. It doesn't mean you're the only authority. It means that God is going to hold you accountable and responsible for the stewardship of your home. When he comes to this home, he's going to say, I want to speak to the one I've left in charge or I'm going to hold accountable and I'm going to hold responsible for the stewardship that I've given you. I've given you a wife. I've given you children. How are you leading that home? That changes everything about headship, doesn't it? I'm not the head of this church. I am the pastor serving in this church. Jesus Christ is the head, but God will hold me accountable for the direction that this church is being led. Even though you don't feel like you have to do anything I tell you to do. I'm not that kind of authoritarian figure in your life. But God will hold me accountable for the way this church is led and directed. Well, men, he's going to hold us accountable for how we managed our families. That changes everything about headship, doesn't it? Now some men are going to say, I don't want to be the head of my home anymore. And then Peter picks up on that and he says, husbands, dwell with them. And it implies more than just sharing the same address. It means to take time to be with her. It means to spend time with her, to not just be at the office all the time or on the golf course or out doing whatever it is you like to do all the time. You need to spend some time with your wife. To dwell with her. I also want you to notice those young, you young people in the venue that are, are listening to me and watching. You're going to have a lot more temptation because now there seems to be the emphasis on, well, I'll live with my girlfriend or I'll live with my fiance. But here it says to live with your wife. I want to read Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The word translated live here just occurs one time and it means to house with, to be with them. We use the term housewife, but it's really saying be a house husband. Now, what I mean by that is not take your wife's place, but be at home. To spend time with her. Many times, husbands spend too much time at the office because it's easier to be at work than it is to be at home. 
Saturday Evening Post. This was written by Rose Sands. It said, to prove his love for her, he swam the deepest river. He crossed the widest desert. He climbed the highest mountain. She divorced him. He was never home. (laughs) You need to be at home. And it also, this phrase means that you provide for the physical and material needs of the home. Men, you are responsible for providing and protecting and caring for the home. You know, a lot of cultures around the world, the men sit on their seats and do nothing. And the women do all of it. That is not Christian culture. That is not what Christian men are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be providing and taking care of and leading their family. I know we live in a culture now that's full of feminism and, and now the emphasis is on the woman and I'm not opposed to women being treated equally, but I am opposed to the fact that we're, you're not supposed to take the place of your husband. That's not what God says. Men, you are to dwell with them. To be responsible. A man and his wife were sitting in the living room and he said to her, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state. I don't want to be dependent on some machine, fluids from a bottle. If that ever happens, you just pull the plug. His wife got up, unplugged the TV and threw out all his beer. (laughs) You know what? That's kind of how we're pictured on television, isn't it? (laughs) They always make men look stupid. Especially now on commercials, men look stupid. They just, they don't do anything. Well, I want you to know, men, we're not stupid. And God gave us a responsibility and we're supposed to lead our families in the right way. We're supposed to dwell with our wives. So some of you need to go home. Next, we see the irresistible husband has an uncommon comprehension. Now, here's the intellectual. It says, to dwell with them with understanding. Some translations say according to knowledge. It's amazing that two people can live together and not really know each other. A husband who is living with his wife in an understanding way is thoughtful, preoccupied with her needs, her best interest. He does what he can to relieve his wife from unnecessary stress. He doesn't want her to have to worry any more than she has to. I read of a man who didn't necessarily like shopping. Most men don't shop. They conquer. You don't go in to shop. You go in to get something and get it and get out, don't you guys? (laughs) Women like to shop. This man knew his wife liked antiques. And so he spent the next year taking his wife to as many antique stores as time would allow. It cost him some money. It cost him a lot of time but proved to be a very strong bonding experience. One of his friends said, man, do you like antiques that much? You've been spending a lot of time. And he said, no, I don't, but I like my wife that much. Do you like to do the things she likes to do? Before a man gets married, he lies awake in bed all night thinking about what she said. And after they're married, he falls asleep before she's finished saying it. (laughs) You need to listen to her. One man was reading the newspaper. He said, listen to this, honey. Women use twice as many words per day as men. 
His wife said, that's because we have to repeat everything twice to men. And their husband said, I'm sorry, what did you say? Guys, do you know what your wife enjoys doing? Do you know if she has a favorite restaurant? Do you know if she has a favorite food? What does she like to do to relax? Does she have a favorite flower? Does she have a favorite color? Do you know these things about her? I can almost guarantee you she knows that stuff about you. And if you don't know these things, go to school. Sit down and let her be the teacher. Ask her, what is your favorite restaurant? And write it down, exactly. Thank you. (laughs) You see, that's part of what it means to live with your wife according to knowledge. You need to understand your wife's moods. You need to know her feelings. You need to know her fears and her hopes. You need to know she has a brain. If you ever doubt your wife's judgment, just look who she married. (laughs) Think about it. You see, men and women process information differently. A man's brain is more like a computer. A woman's brain is more like radar. You see, a man can, he can think analytically and and he will just dispense facts. A woman has a great big reception disc and it sweeps back and forth taking in everything. She can see things and feel things that men have never seen or felt. That's because a woman uses both sides of her brain at once. Proven fact, men, when, when we're conceived and testosterone enters the system, your brain divides. So yeah, you're a half brain, so am I. And we have a connection between it, but it's like a dial-up modem. You remember those dial-up modems? It'll finally get there. Now, a woman's got a broadband connection. High-speed broadband. And she's taking in all of this stuff, and she computes it all that fast. You see, because we use primarily the left or right side, a man tends to think logically, analytically, and factually, and a woman can think logically, but there's going to be emotion with it. A woman uses language to express emotion, while a man uses language to dispense facts. Women share, men report. And don't listen to what a woman says, listen to what she means. Guys, if you sense something is wrong and you ask her and she says nothing is wrong, that means everything is wrong. (laughs) Women speak in code. Men, on the other hand, just report the facts. But you've got to learn to dwell with her with understanding, and that is not very common today. We're different. Now we've got men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men, and that's just wrong. But, men, you, you are who you are. God made you who you are. God made a man be able to focus on something and stay with it a long time. That's why, ladies, don't ever talk to your husband when he's reading the paper or watching the television. He doesn't hear you. He can't do but one thing at a time anyway. Y'all can multitask. I have found an exception to that. I, women, you cannot multitask when it comes to driving and talking on a cell phone. But... That's not where I'm going today. Most of the time, y'all can multitask. You just start watching. you see what I'm talking about. Got to understand them, guys. She's got a brain. Don't, tr- don't treat her like she doesn't. Don't treat her like she's stupid, because she's not. 
She may, she may come at something at a, diff- at a different angle. She's going to have emotions and other factors involved with that. But God made her to help you so that you wouldn't just put A plus B equals C and say, well, if I, if I move to California, I get a $50,000 raise. I'm moving to California. She's going to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Where are the kids going to go to school? What about doctors? What about a church? What about this? What about that? What about that? See, all you've thought about is A plus B equals C. Well, God put you together to make it work together. Women, on the other hand, can be pretty talked into something. You can get so emotionally involved, you're easily talked into where a man can step back and go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this is. I can see through all this stuff this guy's trying to snow you over. So it works together. You need to learn that. And a man who is irresistible, a husband that's irresistible, has got an uncommon comprehension of that. I know my wife can think clearly. She may have some thoughts I haven't felt or thought of. So you'd see the commitment to dwell with her. You see the comprehension. But notice the third thing. The irresistible husband has uninterrupted chivalry. Here's the emotional side. It says in verse 7, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Ephesians 5.28 says, So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church, giving honor unto the wife. Now, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 19, but do you see it says, with the precious blood of Christ. That word precious and that word honor, the same words. You are to treat your wife like she's precious. If you you believe in headship, you need to also have heartship. There's an emotional part to this relationship. And men, we're taught to suck up our emotions and be a man and be tough. Well, let me tell you, you don't do that with your wife. You share your emotions with her. And the husband's to lead by love and not by force. Women struggle with that passage that says the weaker vessel. Women are not weaker than men when it comes to intellect. When it comes to morals or spirituality, most women are as equal or sometimes stronger in those areas than men. But generally speaking, generally speaking, most women are weaker physically than most men. That does not mean you're inferior in any way. Let me, let me d- demonstrate what I mean here. I've got a couple of utensils here that you can use to drink coffee. I know this looks like those cups you buy in a package, but this one is actually a little nicer. This is a more uptown cheap cup. And this has, it has a double insulation, so you can drink coffee out of this, and it'll stay warm for a little while. Nothing wrong with this. Pretty strong. You can beat it. You can throw it down. Won't break. You can drink coffee out of it. You can also drink coffee out of this one. This is a china cup. Now, I'm not going to beat that cup on this because it'll break. 
I'm not going to throw it down because it'll break. Both of them, you can drink coffee or tea, whatever you want to drink out of them. But let me ask you this. This one's stronger, isn't it? But which one is more valuable? Which one's more valuable? I use another illustration. Denim. Most everybody got some denim. Blue jeans, if you don't know what denim is. The greatest, the greatest cloth on earth. I love it. I wear blue jeans during the week. I'm thankful I live in a place that can let me do it. But let me ask you this. Denim's strong, but it's not as strong as, I mean, it, but it, it's silk is not as strong as denim. In fact, you have to treat silk completely different. Some of you ladies have some silk garments and you have to, sometimes you can't wash them. They have to be dry cleaned. It depends on how it was made. But, but silk is so much softer and so much nicer and so much more expensive. Yeah, denim's stronger, but what's more valuable, denim or silk? Silk, of course. Well, this is the way this is. Husbands, you need to treat your wife like she's precious. You don't treat her like one of the guys. You know, guys can get together. They say stuff like, hey, man, you put on a few pounds since I've seen you last. And the other one will say, yeah, but I can go on a diet and you're ugly. And then they move on. You do not treat your wife that way. You see, husbands, we can be rough with each other. Warren Wiersbe says the husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which is a precious treasure. It's amazing. After a while, husbands can become rude and obnoxious and, and inconsiderate. And instead of treating their wife like a precious vase, she gets treated like one of the linebackers for the Dallas Cowboys. You've got to respect her feelings and her emotions and her intellect. You, you've got to lift her up publicly and compliment her. Tell her that you love her. Tell her that you thank her for the little things. Gordon MacDonald wrote a book, and in it he talks about Dr. Paul and Edith Reese. And when the Reeses were in their 90s, they'd been married 60-plus years, MacDonald asked Dr. Reese, do y'all ever still have a disagreement or a fight? He said, oh, yeah, we do. In fact, just yesterday, Edith was driving, and she ran a stop sign. It scared me half to death. McDonald said, what'd you do? And he said, well, I've loved Edith all these 60 plus years and I've learned how to say hard things to her. And you see, when she was a little girl, her father always spoke very harshly to her. And today when she hears a manly voice speak harshly, it hurts her deeply, especially even my voice. And McDonald said, you mean to tell me that Edith is 90 years old and it still bothers her? Oh, yeah, she remembers it more than ever today. He said, well, then how did you handle her running a stop sign? He said, here's what I did. I said, Edith, darling, after we've had our nap this afternoon, I want to discuss a thought I have for you. When the nap is over, that's what I did. I was calm. She was ready to listen. We solved our little problem. 
Gordon MacDonald said, these are the words of a man who's learned that conflict is necessary, but it can be productive if it's managed with wisdom and grace. And he said, I want to be like him when I'm 90 years old. There's a man who lived back in the 1930s. His name was a Somerset Mom. He was not a very moral man, but his mother and dad had been married a while, and his mother was a very beautiful lady. His dad, as he spoke, was very ugly. And he had people would ask his mother, when everyone is in love with you and when you could have anyone you wanted, why did you marry this fat, ugly little man? And she said, he never hurts my feelings. You see, guys, women are not men. Aren't you glad? But you don't treat them like men. A successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. Happy man marries the girl he loves. A happier man loves the girl that he marries. You've got to keep working on it. She never gets over the need for the little romantic things. I mean, you think about it. Most of us in here married way above our heads. And people are going to go, how in the world did you marry? And they'll point to your wife. Did you catch her at a weak moment? You must have. No, you did some stuff that won her emotions over. But then when men get married and say, I do, they turn into a frog again. They're the prince for a while. But guys, I want to tell you something. Your wife never gets over the need for those romantic things. That girl that you won her heart, that's, she's still that girl. And ladies, let me just tell you, your husband never gets over the need to be respected and noticed. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about him. He wants to know what you think about him. And the compliments you give him mean more than anything else in the world to him. He may not ever tell you that, but I'll tell you. True story. A man was getting ready to go with his family on a two-week vacation. And he decided that on this two-week vacation, he would try to be a loving, giving, unselfish husband for the two weeks of the family's vacation. And so he worked hard at noticing his wife, attending to her needs of doing what she wanted to do. Even if, she, even if he really rather wanted to do something else, he did what she wanted to do. And the last night of the vacation, his wife was obviously upset. And she said, Tom... Do you know something I don't? Tom said, what do you mean? Well, that checkup I had several weeks ago with our doctor, did, did he tell you something about me? Tom, you've been so good to me. Am I dying? <laughs> Tom thought for a moment and he burst out laughing. He took her in his arms and said, no, honey, you're not dying. I'm just starting to live. And guys, I want to tell you something. The good thing about God is that no matter where you are, you can start right now doing better. Maybe we need to treat our wives as if we knew they were about to go to die. Let me tell you something, guys. Don't take your wife for granted. Those clothes that wind up back in your closet they didn't wash themselves. My wife has had the flu this week. 
And I have been trying to feed us. (laughs) Most of the time, I cook with my wallet. (laughs) But after doing some stuff around the kitchen, and I'm sure not... She's still alive, by the way. I want you to know that. (laughs) But I got to thinking, how many times have I taken for granted all that she does? My clothes are clean. She cooked a meal. Guys, don't take your wife for granted. I want to tell you, I've been here long enough. I've done a lot of funerals. I'm burying my friends. But I want to tell you, the hardest part of a funeral for me is standing by the casket when a spouse comes by. Don't ever take your wife for granted. You need to let her know you're the thermostat, guys. Your wife is the thermometer. You set the temperature and the mood. You set a lot of things about your house. It'll show up in the thermometer. Chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. It's the wedding night. Four, excuse me, seven times before the person in chapter 4 ever touches his wife intimately. He's praised her seven times. She has emotions. Much, many more than you do. And it's a good thing because she uses those emotions in raising children. If raising children were left up to the husbands, the human race would be extinct. (laughs) Wouldn't have made it. Last of all, the irresistible husband has an unending consciousness. Now we're talking about the spiritual part. Peter says in verse 7 that you're heirs together of the grace of life. Being heirs together. She is a sister in Christ. If you have a believing wife, she is a child of God. You are brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritually speaking. Treat her like a sister in Christ. For we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, Ephesians 5.30 says. And failure to give due honor will result in cutting into the spiritual life. He says that your prayers may not be hindered. The word hindered is the picture of cutting a trench in warfare out on the battlefield to prevent the enemy from advancing. Or many times in firefighting, they will cut a trench or or make a path so that the fire won't jump that as it's moving. Well, Satan takes this and puts a trench. And when you're not at peace or right with your wife, it affects you spiritually. It hinders your prayers. And it hinders the wives too. Wives, when you're not right with your husbands, this is a both-and thing here that your prayers may not be hindered. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but here's the prayers of the righteous. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So husbands, let me ask you this. Is it easier for your wife to be more holy 
I know you don't make her holy. You don't sanctify her. God does all of that. And I know that you're here today, and I want to thank you men for being here today. You know what that tells me? You cared enough to be here with your family. And I know not all of you are married, and I know, I know about a lot of different circumstances, but the fact is you are here, and I thank God that you're here. It's important that you be here. It's important that you hear God's word proclaimed. It's important in life groups to hear the word of God taught. But more importantly than that is the six days a week that you're not here. What's going on in your life? How are you leading your family? You don't have to quote scripture every day. But the fact is they ought to know that their husband or their dad loves Jesus. Listen to me carefully. Real men love Jesus. You don't check your manhood at the door following Jesus. You think Jesus was a sissy? I don't think so. You think fishermen would have followed a girly man? I don't think so. Because he put them in their place. He would teach them. They respected him. They gave their life for him. Jesus was no sissy. And take the beating that he took and to live as long as he did before he died on the cross. He was a man's man. God made man in his image. There's three parts. There's the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man has a body. He has a soul, his mind, emotions, and will, and he has a spirit. And when you receive the Lord as your Savior and you commit your life to him, the one spot that's empty, the spirit, is now filled and you become a real man. There's nothing sissy about following Christ. Real men love the Lord. Somehow we've gotten the idea that it's all for the women. But it's not. Real men love Jesus. And you'll never be the kind of husband that you need to be until you know Jesus. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, let me tell you what that means. You repent of your sin and you admit to God, I need you, God. And you ask God to forgive you. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day. And you receive him by faith. And then you know what you do? As a result of that, you get baptized. You see, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away your sin. But it's not optional either because it's the first act of testimony that I follow Jesus as my Savior. And somehow we've gotten the idea that I follow Jesus, but that's optional. That's not optional. You're telling the whole world, I have died to Christ. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. I am a believer in Christ. Let me tell you, guys, it's time for men to stand up and be real men and love the Lord and follow him and not be ashamed so if you've never received Christ, the challenge today is to you give your life to Christ. If you've never been baptized, listen. There's no, there's no being a chicken following Jesus. How's that for a challenge? <laughs> I can talk to men because I am one. What are you afraid of, guys? What are you ashamed of? There's nothing to be ashamed of, amen? There's nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus Christ can make you the man that you need to be. And so if you don't know Christ today as your Savior, you can commit your life right now. And if you do know Christ as your Savior, 
You can say, Lord, I need you to help me right now. Quit being a selfish man and be a godly husband. And if you're one of those men that your wife is already in heaven or maybe your wife is no longer with you, you say, Lord, here I am and whatever you want to do with my life, I make my, my life available to you. And you young men that aren't married or you're contemplating getting married, God, help me to find a godly woman. And if she doesn't love you, then, Lord, I'm not interested. Whatever your decision is, would you make it right now while we pray? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.